1987, academics Frank and Deborah Popper wrote what they thought would be a little-noticed article for Planning Magazine. Entitled The Great Plains from Dust to Dust, the article was relatively short in academic terms. But to the Popper's surprise, it ignited a firestorm among residents of the region. In their paper subtitled A Daring Proposal for Dealing with an Inevitable Disaster, the Poppers argued that current agricultural use of much of the Great Plains is simply not sustainable. We believe that over the next generation, the Plains will, as a result of the largest, longest-running agricultural and environmental mistake in American history, become almost totally depopulated. At that point, a new use for the region will emerge, one that is in fact so old that it predates the American presence. We are suggesting suggesting that the region region be returned returned to its original pre-white state, that it be, in effect, deprivatized. The federal federal government's commanding task on the plains for the next century will be to recreate the 19th century, to reestablish what we would call the the Buffalo Buffalo Commons. Residents of the Great Plains originally balked at the Popper's predictions, but over the past two decades they've seemed more and more prophetic. Plain states have suffered dramatic population loss, the people who stay are getting older and older, and the cattle industry, the traditional heart of the Plains economy, persists. But some argue that's only because of a heavy federal subsidy. The family cattlemen that remain are increasingly unsettled by consolidation, by neighbors who sell to city slickers looking for a slice of land, and more and more by projects inspired by the Popper's Buffalo Commons thesis, which are returning homesteaders' land back to pre-settlement use. Producers Dan Collison and Elizabeth Meister visited the heart of cattle country and spoke with longtime residents and newcomers about the changes there. Primarily, they focused on northeastern Montana in and around the town of Malta. There, the Popper's vision is playing out through the American Prairie Foundation's efforts to reintroduce thousands of bison and other native species. APF plans to assemble a massive native area from a hodgepodge of old family ranches, coupled with agreements to use public areas. But perhaps more so than anywhere else in the country, longtime residents here are tied to their land. Many of their grandparents homesteaded, so their land is the family's legacy, and cattle are the mechanism by which they carry on. The notion that their land is emptying, that it can't sustain people or cattle, and that the reintroduction of buffalo by outsiders is somehow better for the place they've worked so hard to shape is a difficult one to swallow. Producers Collison and Meister offer this portrait of some of the folks as they try to adapt to these fundamental changes. They begin in cattle country. My name is Wally McRae. I uh, am a cow-calf rancher. I live just north of the northern Cheyenne Indian Reservation and south of the Yellowstone River. I'm 70 years old. I've been in this country all my life. Both of my grandparents had ranches eight miles apart. They came in the 1800s. This is not a very consistent country. It's up and down. The average rainfall in Mild City is about 10 and a half inches, so for all practical purposes, in a normal year, this is a stupid desert. But the cattle are still here. People in town in Mile City, they know when the fall comes because they can hear calves bawling all across the city. I'm Rob Frazier from Mile City, Montana. I'm the co-owner and manager of Mile City Livestock. It's a large eastern Montana livestock auction. We're here on a Tuesday during our regular feeder sale and 
We do have a Red Angus special today, so it's a good run of cattle. It's very concerning to me the age of our producers. The average age of the rancher anymore in eastern Montana is probably pushing up towards 60 years. One family goes out of business, they don't have any heirs that want to stay there, they sell it, and we get out-of-state investors who change our community. The other thing that's happening is our operations are getting larger and larger and larger. And the larger that ranches get, the less they tend to trade locally. And you can see across eastern Montana the small communities that are essentially dying away. My name is Byron Arrow, I'm mayor of Malta, located in northeastern Montana. I'm Ann Booth, I'm the executive director of Philco Economic Growth Council that works on economic development and planning for Malta and Phillips County. Historically, Malta was a thriving railroad town. We're kind of unique in the way that it's kind of 200 miles to every place. We are 200 miles from Billings, we're 200 miles from Great Falls, we're 200, 200 Swift miles Kern, from Canada, 200 to North Dakota, Williston. I don't know that we would say we're isolated. Um, and yet, definitely we are. I think those of us that live here appreciate the isolation. My name is Ron Scott. I'm president of the First State Bank in Malta. You can see for miles and miles and miles up here, and it's mostly what you call prairie land. In the spring of the year, you can just smell the sagebrush. I mean, it's something that gets into your blood. I manage Westside Self Service Food Court and Casino. I've lived in Malta all my life, which is be 55 years. I was raised on a farm in northern Phillips County. I've lived in Phillips County all my life. I really feel it's a good place to live. It's pretty much your little typical nice clean town. We have uh, all paved streets. We got a brand new high school. We have a new golf course. We got a brand new hospital. We have a Dairy Queen. The other side of the coin, we lost our car dealerships. We don't have a GM or Ford or Toyota like we did. We don't have any implement dealerships. The jobs just aren't here, what they used to be. The only thing that don't seem to go down in numbers are bars. We've seen a declining economy, out migration. The population used to hold pretty steady between 23 to 2,500. Now I think they have us down to new census at about 1,980 people. As the younger generation moves out to bigger and better things, there's nobody to leave the ranch to. It used to be in the past that the neighbor would buy up the ranch which is not necessarily the case today. My name is Kyron Kunkel, and I'm a senior fellow for World Wildlife Fund, working with the American Prairie Foundation to hopefully start a large-scale bison restoration program. We're at uh, what we refer to as Fort Bison on American Prairie Foundation lands in north-central Montana, where we've uh, released our 20 bison that we've moved from Wind Cave, South Dakota, and into uh, this facility that we refer to as a soft-release pen, where we wanted to get these animals acclimated to where their new home is. The American Prairie Foundation came in to this county maybe a year and a half ago. They bought a ranch, five, 6,000 acres and since that time they have bought additional land. People are more inspired when they can think back and think about tens of millions of bison across the entirety of the Great Plains 
and there's not any situation where we really have that anymore. We can't go out anywhere in the Great Plains and see large herds of bison over large acreages of native grasslands without fences and with their natural predators and behaving as this species did historically. We don't have that anymore, and so that's why we're starting this project in northern Montana. Their ranch over there is pretty isolated, and I don't know how much people will drive 50, 60 miles on gravel roads to go look at a buffalo. Of course, we're not really familiar with tourism in this part of the country. We don't know what the impact might be, but we're very doubtful right now that it'll be very large at all. My name's Dale Viseth. I ranch south of Malta, 50 miles. I've actually had three generations of Viseths before myself live on the same land. Uh, the first Viseths came to this area in 1886 or 1887. The silver plant is silver sagebrush. We're going through a, a wheatgrass here. We're very proud as a community of the job that we've done on the landscape. I can't say that everything I've done will be right tomorrow or of what my ancestors have, but it's a, a work in progress. We've kind of evolved into a role using modern range management practices and having an interest in wildlife and our, our effects on that wildlife. The ranchers have been on that land since the late 1800s. They have been the stewards of that land, and they're the reason that that land is in the excellent condition that it's in. And now some new things coming in, where you know maybe they're going to run buffalo next to their cattle. This has been either sheep country or cattle country for the last hundred and some years, and it seems like it is going to continue to be cattle country. The community is all real good people. They're hardworking. A little drawback, and it ain't a drawback, nothing be bad. You know, sometimes they don't accept change. When outsiders come in, they have the tendency to be a little uncertain of them. We are conservative, we are cautious. Change is always difficult, and we're just hesitant to truly believe that this type of radical change throughout our community is the best use for the land and best for the people. My name is Sam Hurst. We're on the South Swell Ranch, which is about 35 miles east of Rapid City in the Badlands. This landscape makes people hard. Survival is so difficult out here that it makes people hard and suspicious. You're suspicious of anything that would shave the slightest little margin off of your profitability because you don't have any margin. So if the neighbor brings in buffalo, your kids might go to school in the morning and think, oh, that's wonderful and that's romantic and that's restoring nature. But you know they're going to go through your fence and some of your cattle are going to get out. And that fence isn't going to be repaired for two weeks and those buffalo are going to eat your grass. And you don't have any margin of error. You need every blade of grass. And so you just can't stand anything that threatens your little, tiny, stretched, tight reality. A lot of these issues aren't uh, specifically just economics. A lot of them are very emotional. My granddad's 
ashes were flowing over the ranch here. I know my father's will be, and I kind of intend for mine to be too. We would just like to see this continue. People are more concerned about buffalo than they are weeds. It's just an easy thing to be opposed to because they don't know anything about them. There's nothing wrong with a buffalo. I wouldn't mind having a, somebody run buffalo across a fence from me if they had a good fence and kept the stupid things in. Maybe a few buffalo scattered around wouldn't hurt. You know, we stole the land and stole the way of life and the religion and the language from the Native Americans. Maybe we ought to keep a few token buffalo around somewhere to kind of remind us of what a bunch of jerks we were when we stole it all away from them. I was a field producer for NBC News based in uh, Burbank, California. And I drew an assignment to come up to the Northern Great Plains in 1990. And I called my wife and I said, I think I found the place we should move to. We moved up here in 1993 and we've been here ever since running a small buffalo ranch. That's Sam Hurst, who you also heard from earlier. Sam had a dream not unlike that of the American Prairie Foundation, the group that hopes to eventually reintroduce large herds of buffalo to the Great Plains. My vision was that you would have buffalo and you would have an integrated wildlife management strategy for everything that would include the national parks, the Forest Service, the tribe, private ranchers, private Indian ranchers. You could create room for all of the things that people do on the Serengeti Plain of Africa. You could create ecotourism. You could create hunting. You could create the culling of some animals for sustainable agriculture and, and meat. But you couldn't have this big corporate cattle complex because the land and the habitat can't sustain that. In 2006, Sam gave up. He found it difficult to collaborate with neighbors and wasn't able to cobble together the large, sustainable native landscape he dreamed about. He started selling off his buffalo herd and put his ranch on the market. Sam spoke about his failure with producers Dan Collison and Elizabeth Meister, a pair who, quite frankly, had experienced a failure of their own. They'd been out on the plains working on this story for 10 days. And while they'd met plenty of people who were suffering, who'd lost ranches or had to sell off parts of their cattle herds, they found people that didn't want to talk about their troubles, period. Sam, however, was just the opposite. In literature and in universities, we understand that the concept of failure creates new ideas and creates new opportunities. But in real life, failure is just like a punch in the gut. And people don't like to have it happen to them, and people don't like to think about it or talk about it. And yet, failure is the defining idea on the northern Great Plains. When I moved here with the romantic notion of buying and running a buffalo ranch in the early 1990s, I knew that intellectually, but I didn't know it in my heart. We're going to move calves and yearlings out of a corral pen and into this trailer. Because they're big and fast, and we think of them as wild, people are afraid of buffalo. But 
they're herbivores. They don't want to eat us. We're not trying to corral grizzly bears. Spread out over there. See how easy that is? I can't tell you how many ranchers I talk to who think that they don't want to bring those exotic animals in. They think buffalo are like ostriches and llamas and emus. It never occurs to them that all I'm advocating is just putting the animal that ought to be here back on the land. And I don't say ought to be here in a moral sense. I mean in an ecological and economic sense. This is the animal that is best suited to this land. Go on. Go on. This land has been honest to every form of civilization that has come to it. If you want to embrace this land, it is a dry, windy, cold, unproductive land. You have to take it on its terms. Now, the Lakota understood this. You stay low, you move fast, you stay mobile, you move around a lot. Well, we threw that out. The minute we came in with a fantasy that we could turn this landscape into Ohio, you know, and have little family farms out here, it was the first miscalculation. That wasn't the land's fault. That was us imposing an economic and social structure that wasn't suited to the land. So my heart won. <laughs> and I came and I sank money into it. And then the reality of this ecosystem hit. It hit really hard in the form of drought. Now, drought is inescapable. It is a part of this ecosystem. And all of the institutional supports, the public supports that kind of gloss over the harshness for cattle ranchers aren't available to buffalo ranchers. We don't have emergency drought relief. We don't have elaborate government subsidies. This is a region of personal choice. This is a region of hard work. That's a deeply held value. And if you fail, it's because you are a failure. And the reason you find ranchers hanging themselves in their barns in February is not because they failed. There's a lot of failure around. It's because they failed their father and their grandfather. Those guys stuck it out. Those guys made it. And now I can't make it. So then you realize that you have to sell. And you just become like Teddy Roosevelt and John Wesley Powell and everybody else who came through the Great Plains with a romantic idea and realized it's not going to work. It's very heartbreaking. It's very heartbreaking. I'm not the exception to the rule. I am the rule. And until people understand how central the idea of failure is to the rural areas of the Great Plains, we will never develop an economic strategy that meets the landscape. Because if we try to cover up our failures, we'll just keep doing them. Every generation do it over and over and over and over again. Empty saddles in the old corral. Where do you ride tonight? Are you rounding up the doggies, the strays of long ago? Are you on the trail of buffalo?
Our story on the Buffalo Commons was produced by Dan Collison and Elizabeth Meister for Long Haul Productions. It was originally broadcast as part of the public radio series Stories from the Heart of the Land, funded by the Nature Conservancy. To hear more stories from Long Haul, go to www.longhaulpro.org. Empty saddle.